Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Freeman Means Business Wonder Women in Business Ally podcast. We're so excited to have Dan Udach on the show today. Dan is from R Squared. He is an amazing person. So I'm going to let Dan talk, and you'll make that same uh, summation, I'm sure. Dan, welcome to the show. Well, thanks so much, Susan. You're very kind. <laughs> I am, but you're awesome. I'll just say that. Even if I weren't kind, I think you were, I'd say the same, you know. So tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, sure. Uh, how far back do we go? I mean, uh, <laughs> you decide. Okay. Hey, here is a real quick one. I was born in a coal mining town in Pennsylvania, and my father and family followed the dream that was silicon valley and we we headed west way back then when vacuum tubes were becoming chips and transistors so uh sort of seeing silicon valley grow up and every good thing and sometimes questionable thing that's happened along the way that's awesome let me ask you were you around I, i've read the boys of silicon valley that book about andreessen and netscape tell us a little bit about that yeah, amazing. I was actually an early employee at Netscape, and it was, fat, I think, the most interesting company I've ever uh, been part of, or certainly uh, to date at that time, where, you know, bringing to the world, um, bringing to everyone what we know as the norm now, right? The, the internet for the masses. It's so hard to imagine before that, but sort of to have a front row seat at that. It, it was just amazing. You changed the world. Well, the, the company did. The we, uh, Andreessen and her, his friends, right, that basically said, let's put sort of an, it's sort of the Apple uh, model, right? Let's make this easy to use and compelling for everyone, right? So not the internet for scientists and Lawrence right. Livermore Lab trading big files, right? maybe the whole world can share information, right? We, we know where that's gone. But, what a fascinating you know, journey. Yeah, it was fantastic. Let me ask you, do you remember your employee number? <laughs> um, I was 62. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. That is awesome. Well, tell me, this is not your first rodeo, right? So you have been involved in a few startups. Why don't you tell us more about that? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that was my journey uh, early on. I grew up with Netscape included with some senior sales roles. Um, and a goal of mine always was, hey, I, I want to be the person in charge. I want to be the, the CEO and kind of lead the whole thing. But more importantly, we'll get into this. Um, I had this view that culture mattered back then in the 90s and Silicon Valley was much more about things and widgets right make it faster cheaper smaller sort of coming off the hardware focus into the first wave of software but uh so yeah uh, that was a big motivation not only as a career goal as a why and then this is my let's see one two three I guess it would be fourth um CEO role of little startups. Most notably, we uh, we did a data privacy company that just as healthcare records were going online um, and the whole HIPAA movement and let's modernize healthcare, the whole notion and problem became, wow, this data is so sensitive. 
probably even more so than your financial data, frankly. We need to protect it. So we built a company to do that and did quite well. Had four or 500 of the biggest hospitals in the country relying on us. And you then have as, the magic touch, Dan. Well, I like these, we'll call them green. Hey, I've had my teeth kicked in. You can't <laughs> be good at this without, I feel like you have to be at every seat at the table. In other words, I've been uh, the beneficiary of being at a really good big company at the time, IBM, my first job, wow. at, start, at startups that have rocked, like Netscape, at a few that it didn't work for whatever reason, sometimes culture, sometimes market timing, um, uh, you know, sometimes poor execution in hindsight on our, you know, all those you learn. But I really like this. Here's a new problem set that's emerging because of, you know, some reasons, S some new use case, some new thing, some new government program. Let, let's go kind of add value to that or solve a problem. Well, tell us about what you're doing at R Squared, because I find it fascinating. From what I know, it's solving a huge problem, but we'll get, we'll dig into that. Okay. Um, sure. Well, well, let's, let's start there, but you are corrected. In my view, very similar of, hey, here's this emerging problem and an emerging set of technologies that can address it. So uh, the Greenfield thesis here was people, of course, are communicating more and more online, less in person. There's an entirely different set of employees by age, gender, uh, ethnicity. There's a different power relationship between employers and employees, right? I mean, I think, as we know, some decades ago, um, do as you said, or as I say, and speak if I call on you, right? So right. You, want, you wanted to work at GM or IBM for 50 years and don't get in trouble. Well, all that's changed. So our notion was, and with that, the world's changed, and, and we'll get to it, but quite a bit more lately. So hey, just how are people interacting? How are they including each other? How collaborative are they? And then as things emerged from the Me Too movement to, you know, most recently Black Lives Matter and lots of things in between, we said the basic premise was let's apply world-class technology to this human behavior problem and uh, sort of on the flip side, why are all the best scientists and developers working on cybersecurity or something else? Doesn't this use case and problem set deserve that much attention? Yes, yes. I, this is why I was so attracted to R squared. Um, this and you, you're, I mean, like it's, it sells itself, it speaks for itself, it's powerful. Just the demo is, it'll blow your mind. But let me ask you this. It's AI. People are scared of AI. How can technology help with the challenges we have that are clearly humanistic? Yeah, great question. And there's a, I'd say a valid, um, fear's too strong of a word, but we should, uh, what, what's the whole saying? Trust but verify, right? Yeah. So we're trying to use AI to help a human process, not replace a human process. So that's sort of point one. And then there's very much this notion of transparency and explainability. 
So in other words, if I give you a score, Susan, that says, well, um, hey, let's give an obvious one. You're quite passionate and enthusiastic about what <laughs> you're doing. And that's what our models say. Um, you know, I, I say with a smile, well, let's show me, Dan, 20 examples of the emails I sent that basically uh, caused that model to score my communications that way, right? So you have to give people um, transparency and explainability to start trusting these, these models more. Then the second piece is just what I said. It doesn't replace humans. So that doesn't uh, say, okay, Susan's a good person or bad person, therefore she needs promoted or fired, right? This is bringing science and data science and big data and unbiased uh, algorithms yeah. to, to, to be an additional point of view to, to help the human practitioner. You know, it's so powerful. Um, folks, I, I don't know if you've seen R Squared's work or their solution yet, but you will. If you're in my circle, you will. I can just tell you right now because I am a compelling storyteller. And what makes me compelling is the data. So my stories are backed by data. Well, I'd like to think some of it is my enthusiasm that you mentioned earlier. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I'm a compelling storyteller. And, and, you know, when you have a compelling story backed by data, there's no argument. There's no, you know, this is, this is what it is. And it's time to either use this good information of good to create more of same or use this good information of bad to eliminate that. So I, I just love what you do. And the way you tell the story when you show a demo is very, um, you know, I'm leaning into the computer as if I can hear better or something, you know, I find myself very engaged. It's almost, um, you in your demo are very compelling as well. Well, let me ask you this, since my focus, um, I started out with a focus on uh, gender inequality, but obviously over the years I've branched out to all inequality. Why is it we don't have more equity in the workplace and equality in the world? What can this solution that R squared provide, you know, how can it help me directly? Just give me a quick summation of how it can help me with my work. Yeah, and I think you uh, you characterized it 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 well. Of um, the problem set has expanded right from um, gender to ethnicity to even further subsets of what is a sense of belonging and and how does that benefit a, a company? So I feel like this drumbeat um, you and your ecosystem have been trying to address it for quite some time, right? It's a, it's become a bigger problem, but it's not like you just suddenly realize this. And unfortunately, I think it was too reliant on anecdotes, some, yes. you know, storytelling, um, provocative, um, uh, motivational leadership, maybe some surveys, um, all some of which PR. are Don't some forget. PR. <laughs> uh, but in today's business climate, frankly, a little too easy to dismiss because it becomes right. nice to have, not need to have, or not substantiated by real volumes of data. So I always feel like Sort of the the DNI practitioners, the culture practitioners, the human capital. There is always this sense of what we 
culture is so important to outcomes in every way from engagement to productivity to less attrition to uh, attracting better employees, but incredibly hard, if not impossible, to measure. So yes. what, what we do is, frankly, we're a toolkit for uh, you, Susan, to say, hey, what if I could really score 10,000 people in terms of their real uh, uh, demonstrated collaboration or their demonstrated inclusion of other ethnicity or, you know, minorities is scored a different way. Frankly, you could just, this old problem of women progress at the same rate up to X level and then that tends to tail off. Yeah. Well, what if you could understand why that centrality tends to plateau or who those mentors and connections need to be? Uh, you know, another view of this, I'll tell you a little story, is this notion of the hidden high performer. And we worked with a client that had um, multiple candidates for the internal uh, person to be promoted to lead a large internal group. and the number one, two, and three candidates, as you might suspect, were all men. men. And, um, and that's great. And it was based on lots of real things. You know, senior management's opinion, performance over time, um, performance reviews, etc. cetera. Uh, but there was a fourth candidate who was quite well thought of too, but was in fourth. And we were asked, well, give me data like score these people based on their centrality, i.e. connectivity, their sentiment, their collaboration, um, you know, and other scores that emerge from scoring maybe tens of thousands or hundreds of uh, thousands of emails and messages over time. And it became clear that uh, the woman that was the fourth candidate was you know, head and shoulders above in all those scores um, than the other three uh, male candidates. So it, it, my, I give you that story. It's a nice success story and it, it's a fun one to tell. But what I'm most proud of is let's just bring real data and facts to, to these discussions. And I think we can help greatly you know, bring the discussion to something that is less uh, opinionated, uh, you know, frankly, yeah. less emotional. And, well, and it's, it's taking what was once a fairy tale and making it a fairness tale. So your example of the, the woman who was under-recognized, but certainly uh, should have been recognized and maybe, you know, promoted and, and gotten way more attention than she did is a good one because we know women don't self-promote as much as men do. And when they do, it's not readily accepted. So I love that example that you gave. Um, I think I've heard you or seen you show that in the, in the work that you do. And it was very powerful folks. The visual uh, or data visualization of this demo is so powerful. It too tells a story, not just Dan's words, which are also great, but the vis visualizing the data, it makes sense. Everything goes, aha, why haven't I used this to uh, create the foundation of the house that I've built on DNI? So I love it. I love it. Well, let me ask you this, Dan, because this is about you, my ally in the fight for equity. Um, what does Dan do in his free time? Well, um, 
do have four kids, so I spend a lot of time. Uh, it's, it's, you know what, parenting, managing, coaching, they all feel like they're the same, um, they're the same activity. So just love to be involved with the kids and their various, you know, sports teams. And uh, I, I try to hack away at a guitar occasionally. Here's my theory. Here's my theory on music, Susan. How many things do we do where you can get better with age? Um, you know, where yeah. I, I think music uh, and an instrument is one of those things, you know. I agree. Uh, you can stay at it and uh, be expert and uh, maybe you can't dunk anymore, but you can still, you know, uh, do something nice on the piano or the guitar. So, Well, I that, have to tell you, Dan, I gave my husband an acoustic guitar for his 58th birthday and then as he started to take lessons off his iPad and I had to hear this, uh, the guitar disappeared. Honey, I have no idea. Where did you leave uh, it? I'm not sure. You know? <laughs> have you seen the guitar? It, only glad it wasn't a tuba, right? Or, exactly. You know, in his younger days, he played the, um, the um, trombone. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I agree with you. Music is one of those things that you can always improve upon regardless of age. I think cooking yeah. is another. Um, I certainly can't hike like I used to and don't bike like I used to, but yeah, I love that. You seem like you'd be a really fun dad. You're one of those rare breeds who's super smart, but super fun and kind of funny, actually. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. And I attribute a lot to, my mother taught math in college, so she's about 76 wow. or 77. So it's that same, I sort of grew up on that stay, you know, who you associate with matters greatly to your life perspective and outcomes yeah. and the age and variety of those give you everything from youth to wisdom. And it's, uh, yeah, it's been a fantastic recipe. Well, I think the R squared solution is indicative of um, learning from different perspectives, right? So it, it shows that. It shows how you can learn from different perspectives and how we need to be more open to new and different perspectives rather than the same point of view. Um, I teach muted group theory and we've been trying to speak white male for years, those of us who are not white, white males. Um, and it's easy mm -hmm. for white males to fit in the organization. But what about those of us who speak a different language? So that's where your work and my work align very easily, readily and beautifully. So, um, Love it. Love it. Everything about it. If people want to know more about R Squared and the great work that you do and your awesome team, um, how can they reach you? Uh, sure. We just came out of stealth after um, uh, building a product and collecting a half a dozen users and these success stories. So that's at uh, www.r r squared so the letter r and squared spelled out dot ai you have to have a hip uh, you know not be dot com so r squared uh, ai uh, take take a look um there we have a, a couple of really nice resources some fantastic um thought-provoking articles certainly have a nice link to the executive institute there as well which i'll thank you for susan so it, it just feels so invigorating like again i feel like the fight's been going on for 
a long time, but also it feels like the first inning of that aha. The movement, uh, the need and desire for, say, Fortune 500s to legitimately say, we don't want to check a box. We don't want a slogan on the right. wall. In fact, we don't want to just say we're going to dedicate $25 million to this. Of, We want meaningful behavioral changes. I think it was uh, Goldman that said, hey, we won't take a company public any further if there's not a diverse board and C-suite. So it's, it's this sort of, uh, again, uh, convergence of do good, do well. Um, technology that can enable this, you know, so everyone has a role. This really couldn't be done accurately and affordably without NVIDIA and Amazon Web Services and um, uh, Google and some algorithms, and it couldn't be done without corporations caring and moving this to a C-suite and board level initiative. It couldn't be done without practitioners like you that want you know, we're not a professional services organization. We don't affect change. We report reality and behaviors. You do then good things with those insights, and then we accurately report if that mattered, right? Ultimately, if a DNI program doesn't produce more I, then it hasn't worked or worked right. yet. So, you know, I tell a story about a house, right? We're building this house. It's the house of DEI. And what we've done traditionally is created the foundation out of ice. And then we built the rest of the house on that foundation. And that's D, right? People have been like, oh, let's check the boxes and have a diverse uh, employee set and, you know, look good on our website. But where has the I been, right? So the, the, the ice melts and the house crumbles. But what you bring to the table is a foundation of concrete data, right? Concrete data that we can build this house of DEI on and the, the foundation is there. When somebody says, you know, will this survive this next storm? Yes, because we have built our story and our house of DEI on this data. So I am very grateful for what you provide. You give me credibility. Um, it's not just trust me, even though a lot of people do trust me. Um, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a very trustworthy person, but I also have Dan's data to back it up. And, you know, I love R squared and what you do for my company, my executive institute on inclusion. And I plan to introduce you to my universe of contacts. Well, well thank you so much. And maybe if I could add a little to the, sure. uh, the DE, I, your, your ice, I, I love that, that metaphor of, on our website, we say up front, hey, D is easy, and, and D isn't easy. Measuring D is easy. Right. I is not. So D, uh, we often say, is being invited to the dinner party. Um, I is being talked to, right, with respect and collaboration. So it's those behaviors that have been so hard to detect right in terms of passive aggressiveness or check the box compliance so we deeply understand the real behaviors and then you can you know then you can teach to that yeah and, you know. it you know a lot of people say oh it's a toxic work environment well what does that really mean that's someone's opinion until dan and r squared come along and show you the data and it's not just someone's opinion 
right? We, we would love to uh, in, engage and help, right? Because that's, uh, right. we all know what the goal is. And it may or may not be taught, or it, it, there could be almost single influential people that are toxic, that right. is sort of poisoning the whole well, or there's this overall uh, dismay and disengagement, you know, those are all different problems. They're all problems, right. but, but they're different. So we, and they uh, all have yeah. different solutions. Let's say that one person, if it's just one person who's poisoning the well, perhaps we could work with this person and lower turnover and not get rid of this person. Perhaps we can't, and maybe removing that one person solves the problem. So this kind of data lets us know the answers to those kinds of questions. Absolutely. Absolutely, Susan. Well, Dan, one more question. Um, are you open to having people email you directly? And I know you mentioned the website. Um, is it okay if they reach out to you directly? And if so, yeah, which address? Yeah, thanks for asking. We'd love to. Simply uh, dan at rsquare.ai. So I would love to talk to anyone uh, interested. Uh, it's uh, it's important. And, and I think part of it, we're, we're building this together. We have this notion of insights, which we use AI almost at a second layer. Now that we've collected all this data, what really matters to you? And I gave a couple examples earlier, like I would really like to identify some hidden high performers that are not self promoters, or yes. I feel like I really have this plateauing of mid to upper level uh, women as they approach the executive ranks in the corporation, or I feel like we're hiring uh, diversity, but they're not onboarding at the same rate. And I, I've got much different attrition problems. So, you know, we can take your specific point of view and how this can be most helpful and use, you know, AI to expose that. So frankly, we're, we're collecting the haystack of hundreds of millions of insights and then we're finding the needle for you you know with your guidance to say wow i wish i knew or i wish i would have known that six months ago right, right? we always have those when finally when the lawsuits happens or these people quit or this you go oh wow i wish i would have known right um, and you know another thing i see about what you do is I can go to a company's website and if they mention DEI on the second to last page before the contact us page, I can tell they don't take it seriously. Your data is for companies that do take it seriously and they weave this kind of narrative in everything they do, their mission, their vision, every page. It's not just a side dish. You know, DEI is, to me, if you claim you're a leader and you don't incorporate DEI in your every thought and word, you're not a leader right? So we do leadership training, but if it doesn't include any elements of DEI, that's not real leadership training, right? So I think right. what you do is make leadership with DEI integrated into that, whatever that might look like, you make that easier for leaders to do, you know, to do. Right. And data talks, right? It's almost like you're wildly successful because you're diverse. <laughs> you yeah. know? So, so it's like, that's we need to sort of correlate those two things and you do that by understanding who's really doing the work and who's central and who are the real promotion candidates and this can really really help that and it puts it in such stark dramatic relief 
uh, you know, as an added element. It does. It does. Well, look, you know, I'm a fan. I, of course, have aligned my everything with AI, uh, with rsquared.ai. So that said, I just want to say one more quick thing. When I work with C-suite people and I say, what do you care about most? And they say bottom line and not DEI and don't relate how DEI impacts the bottom line. I remind them that DEI positively impacts the bottom line. You know, if you focus on inclusivity in your workplace, you get unique, different, progressive, creative, innovative ideas from various points of view. And your company attracts way more business and the types of clients and customers that will rave about you and continue to do business with you and align their own reputations with you. So you give companies the tools to actually make DI part of their DEA. I should say DEI, part of their DNA. Exactly. And part of their day, though, too, right? Which, uh, I yeah. mean, I, maybe you did a little uh, slip there, but it's part of their everyday, too. So, yeah, I, that's, that's the perfect picture. So the journey is to uh, get from there to, uh, you know, implement and demonstrate what this can really do for people. So, uh, yeah, I'm anxious. And, You're uh, awesome. I'm really excited. Hey, thanks, Susan. It was great to chat. Well, I will see you soon. Thanks, okay. everybody, for listening in. Have a great yeah. day. Bye-bye.